take our Bibles and go to the book of Ruth. Go to Ruth chapter four. We're finishing our study that began in February. Who knew that 85 verses would hold the weight that they have held for us these days? Um, we will, um, this, this is the last, we're taking the last section of Ruth. We have one more message that will be a review. Uh, my view of God has been enlarged. I hope yours as well. Uh, my, God's providence has unnerved me. It's taken me apart. It's put me back together. I still stand in God's providence with a tremendous tension. I think a biblically healthy tension where there is mystery that I can't fully penetrate, but there is a truth I cannot deny. God, our God, is in control. God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. God's works of providence by which we see he reigns and rules. Yes, yes, over every thing and all things and all of creation to move all things toward his purposes and his plans. I want you to be thinking about how our study of Ruth has shaped and informed your own heart. How have you grown? What have, how has your view of God been, been enlarged and challenged? Uh, what's God been calling you to? How is he inviting you to trust him in deeper and deeper ways? I say that because when Rob reviews the text next week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna take some time and allow you to, to speak and, and, and share what God has been doing in you. How, I'll put it this way. How, is, how has Ruth's story, okay, how is it shaping your story? And we're very serious and intentional about these things when we do this at the end of a study, when we invite each other to share because I believe this with a deep conviction that God is working in your life in such a way, some of you um, need to tell us because there's someone else in the room that needs to hear how God is working in your life, not from me and not from Rob, but from one of you. That's the body at work. And so please be prayerful and aware what, what the Lord is doing and perhaps you would share that with us next week. Now it is the last, y'all, we got the last few verses this morning of Ruth chapter four. And so uh, as we wrap up the book, I'm gonna ask us to stand. Let's stand together and we'll just stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm not gonna ask you to read along with me. I'm gonna ask you to follow along in your Ruth booklet or in your Bible or on the screen. This is God's living word for you and for me this Lord's day. It's Ruth chapter four beginning in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap <clears throat> and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, 
Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Oh God, make your word a swift word, passing from ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip in conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. You all can be seated. Uh, Peter Berry uh, wanted to leave a mark in the world. He, he, he wanted to, to know that his life mattered, that it was significant. So he became one of Chicago's most influential taggers. They're called taggers or bombers. And, and what they are is they're graffiti artists. Uh, these would be those who, who would go in those subway tunnels and like in the tunnels in the trains, like right in for four inches so they could you know, tag in there. Uh, these are those who would climb cranes that are throughout the city. They write their name on the top where no one could see it, but they would get up there and ride it. But they'd also then hang over overpasses and in the subway systems and write their name in places where everyone would see their name. In the early morning of August 16th, this is 2005, Peter Berry was killed by a northbound Chicago red line train. It was ruled accidental. It was two days after his 22nd birthday. This is from an article um, by Bill Glober of the Chicago Tribune. He writes, Worm, who did not give his real name because he was a tagger himself, said to Bill Globner, quote, Peter wasn't just any bomber. He was one of the greatest. He climbed to the highest spots. He had guts. His name was known. His name will still be known, end quote. Now, I wanna suggest that these taggers are onto something and they're actually onto something biblical. And that is every human being by God's design is designed to live a life such that your name is remembered. It's, it's within our image of Godness that we live a life of significance, truly a life, a life that matters. This is the point that Rob made last week. So our text today is really the completion of what he began. You remember Rob talked about the name and the name intensity of the passage he was in? Well, I'm telling you, you wanna see a bunch of names? Read our passage. See, it just continues. And, and Rob reminded us that, that the story itself goes from a no name, right? And it's compared to these names that you and I know today and the world knows today, Boaz, Ruth, Naomi. Names that were, were given some 4,000 years later and still they remain. Now we're gonna pick up on this theme, okay, of a remembered name. Just hold that thought. It's what we were made for. And the question, of course, should be, how do I, how do I live my life in such a way and this is not pride or arrogance, okay? I'm not talking about your name on a building, but how do you live your life in such a way that, that your name is remembered? Well, the text itself, I think the whole book of, book of Ruth answers it, but the text will answer it today. It's gonna surprise you and it's not gonna surprise you, okay? It's just not like, oh my gosh, you didn't know that. No, you'll know. But there'll be a part of it that perhaps will surprise you. I'm gonna look at the passage in three parts. 
Verse 13, a son is given. This is just headings for these. I'll say them as I do it. A son is given. Verses 14 to 17, a blessing is pronounced. Then a blessing is pronounced from the women. And we'll end with a promise is kept. So a son is given, a blessing is pronounced. And then verses 18 to 22, a promise is kept. We're gonna move through it and land on our invitation to life. Look at verse 13 with me again. A son is given. The text reads, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a, well, that's verse 14, without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. Verse 14, a son, verse 13, a son is given. Um, verse 13 is nine plus months. <laughs> you know, wedding, conception, pregnancy, birth, name the child. I don't want you to forget that um, from the story, um, Ruth is infertile, that, that 10 years in Moab with her husband, Malon, um, she, she, did, she could not get pregnant. Now, of course, our modern day, we look at it and go, well, maybe it was Malon, maybe it wasn't her. You know, that's, that's not the point. I mean, they didn't have the technology to do that. They, they didn't know. The point of the story is, and I want us to note this, she, she could not get pregnant and she got pregnant because God did it, both. And this is the tension of God's providence, is it not? And I know I say this to some of you looking at me online or in the room who struggle with infertility, who struggled with infertility, who continue to struggle, you can't get pregnant and it feels harsh to say, well, it's God. Um, this is the tension of providence. It's, remember what we said, the losses of life and the hallelujahs of life and that those, those fit under the, the umbrella of God's providence. And as hard as that may sound, the Bible's not gonna shy away from it to say, no, God's in control of all of this. And, and while it, it, it could feel cruel, I want, I want you to pause and go, let's let the Bible speak because what the Bible gives us is tremendous hope because it says God is in control. What's the option if God's not in control? Something else in control? There's something greater than God? No. Our God rules and reigns for our good and his glory. But here's what we need to keep in mind. We don't measure God's goodness nor his faithfulness by the by just a frame, an entire movie, but by the entire reel of the movie. I'm gonna say it another way. We don't, we don't measure God's goodness or faithfulness by the chapter of your life, but by the whole story. And not just by the story of your life, this is so important, you all, but by the whole story of God's greater story and where he is taking all things. It's within this broader context we say, God is working for my good and for his glory and in time he will be vindicated. A son is given, verse 13. Then a blessing is pronounced, look at 14 to 17. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you to stay without a redeemer and may his name, there's the name coming up again, you'll see it over and over, be renowned in Israel. 
He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I want you to notice in verse 14, note it says, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. Now, now I'm taking you there because I'm gonna remind you of what Rob talked about last week. We've gone from a no name to a great name, Boaz. May, may Boaz's name be great in Bethlehem. And, and Bethlehem's a city, wow. But let me say this, Bethlehem's a little city, okay? But then his son Obed, the women say, may his name be great in Israel. It's getting bigger. And then the first genealogy, and the second one ends this way as well, see in a moment, ends with what name? What's the name on the end of the genealogy that I just read? No name, great name, greater name, David, greatest king in Israel. You see where this is going? I'm gonna come back to that uh, when I look at the second genealogy, but I don't want you to miss the progression that the writer's giving us of these names. Now, the writer has put, a, put, put two bookends in this story that I want us just to pause for a moment to look at. Um, I want you to turn back in your Bibles to chapter one, verse 19. Look at chapter one, verse 19, because this is the kind of the first bookend. And, and what you'll see is the way the book of Ruth unfolds is, is there is the, there's a chorus of women at the beginning and there's a chorus of women at the end. Now we've just read the chorus of women, their voices at the end. But I wanna take you back to what they said at the beginning. And I want you to listen for Naomi's response at the beginning, verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? I don't want us to miss this. She changed her name. Now we're in the back end of the study talking about name, 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 name. Don't forget, over here, Naomi changed her name. Oh, you know, she changed. Now, you know, Rob and I have taught through this book and, and, and reminded us, and we believe this wholeheartedly, Naomi's as much the hero of the book as Ruth and Boaz. We're talking about a woman of great faith, genuine faith. May I say, honest faith. And in this, in this moment, I, I want you to feel the weight of this. To change your name. See, those in authority change the name of those under their authority. And in this moment, Naomi has gone, whoop, I, I'm in authority to change my name. Now, rather than say, oh my gosh, she's lost her faith, 
I wanna suggest she's expressing faith in this way. Can you imagine the pain and the loss and the hopelessness of what just happened in her world? Famine, husband dies, two boys die. Child, she had two boys, now childless. You see what I'm saying? And I just go, she let God have it in a sense. She, she expressed the pain of her heart and she said something that's not a forsaking of faith. I think it's an expression of genuine faith. In the same way that David says things in the Psalms, you all, that you stand there and go, did he just say that? Oh my gosh, he can't say that about God. No, no. No, God can take our, 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 our outrage, our pain that comes out of us because he knows our pain. And what I think is so beautiful about this story is Naomi said, call me Mara. And we read this story and you will not find a person nor God calling her Mara. It didn't stick. <laughs> Why? It's not who she was. Do you see what I'm saying? The, the author's telling us, no, this, her faith's intact. She's hurting profoundly and deeply. I love the way that the story, also think about it this way. The women's chorus is this Naomi, Naomi, wow, she lets them have it. Now we're at the back end of the story and they say, God has not forsaken Naomi. And here's this child who's a redeemer, who's a restorer of life, a nourisher in her old age. And, and what does Naomi say to all this? Nothing. There's nothing to say. Here now, Naomi resting in the providence of God. I think a beautiful picture of an expression of her faith. Now, back to chapter four. You'll recall that in chapter one, Naomi spoke of her emptiness while Ruth was standing right next to her. There's so many little threads, we can't tie them all. I hope you'll do in your own study perhaps, but just think of this little thread that, that, that the writer's kind of putting a bow on in a sense. Here in that first chorus of women, Naomi standing, don't call, don't call me pleasant, which is Naomi. Call me Mara, call me bitter. I, 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 I went away full, I had so much when I went away and now I'm back with nothing. And you remember who we said was standing next to her? So Naomi, so Ruth hears it. And you know, this is in the story. Ruth says not a word, right? I mean, I don't, you know, out of, I'm going, what? Hey, wait, wait, hey, you know, right? No, Ruth says not a word, which just makes me admire her all the more. And she just hesseds Naomi. She, she loves her at great cost to herself in a sense. But now at the end of the story, the other bookend, and the women say, Naomi, you're blessed. And notice what they say. See, it's like Ruth didn't have to defend herself. No, she stands at the end of this story and the women say of Ruth, who loves you, Naomi, she's more to you than seven sons. Now we kind of go, okay, seven sons. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. She, the, the women say to you, she's the goat 
She is the goat of daughter-in-laws. She's the greatest of all time. That's exactly what they're saying, literally. Because there's nothing in a patriarchal system, in a Hebrew mindset and culture, than a woman to have seven sons. Wholeness, the number of wholeness and completeness. Oh my goodness. How about Ruth? See, when, when we... When we choose Hesed love that costs us dearly, we need not toot our own horn. I'm reminded of Proverbs 27 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. You need not say it. God in his timing will affirm and validate that decision. It may not be in this lifetime, but this lifetime isn't all there is. Finally, a promise kept. Look at 18 to 22. We wrap up with a genealogy. Now, let me read it. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. We're not, commentators are unsure on why ended with the genealogy. And so you gotta kind of, piece some things together to come to some understanding. It's an abbreviated, note this, it's an abbreviated genealogy. There are a lot more people between Perez and David. Just know that, okay? Oftentimes when the Hebrews, there's twice in, in Genesis when there's a 10-name genealogy. And, and what we understand is within that 10-name genealogy, it's, it's like the beginning of a new epic that, that, that God is at work. And so they put the 10 names, not all 38 or whatever, between hundreds of years. But the key, they say, is the seventh name. And the seventh name in ours, of course, is Boaz. You know, it comes out. But I also want you to note that in both of these genealogies, what's the last name? So what's the last name? Both times, David. It's what I said earlier, right? And I said, I'll come back to this. It's no name, great name, Boaz in Bethlehem, greater name, Obed in all of Israel, greater name, David, greatest king of Israel. Now here's what we know. Pointing to the greatest name, the name above all names. Look at Matthew 1, the name of Jesus through whom, David, through whom the Messiah would come in David's line. Now, we gotta remember if we're gonna go, okay, this, what, is, what, is this geneal what purpose did the genealogy serve? We gotta go, okay, let's get to the original readers, the original audience. And we start here. The story itself is happening in the time of Judges. Nasty, ugly, the darkness of the human heart just pouring out in the way people are treating each other, divisiveness, murder, death, darkness, just, I mean, I'm, I'm actually in Judges in my own daily reading as I'm going through the Bible, and it's just hard to read what people did, things they, just the things they did, the, the darkness is unbelievable. So it's during this time that this story of Ruth is actually happening. So in the midst of this darkness, there's this little story happening. And in the midst of this darkness, the nation of Israel, quite frankly, is, is hanging by a thread, a thread. I mean, the nation of Israel is about to go, boop, be gone. So that's when the story happens. The, the, the readers of the story 
are removed this way in time and probably during the reign of David, they have this story of Ruth and they can look at this story of Ruth because now they know that the Messiah is gonna come through the line of David, okay? So they know that Messiah is gonna come through the line of David, King David. And they look back and they can, they can now see that there was a time when this line that produces David is just, I mean, it is just the tiniest, tiniest thread. It's like, oh my gosh, he almost didn't make it. That, that, that almost didn't happen. And then they're living in a day when it's David and you know the glorious kingdom, so to speak. But look, one son removed from David and it's all gone to pot again. The nation's divided, do you see what I'm saying? All the way until when the nation's wiped out. But think about those first people, the, the, the first group of people that read the story of Ruth and they're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Messiah's gonna come through the line of David? Look at his sons, they're horrific. It's horrible. One of them split the kingdom. Now the whole Northern kingdom's gone. I mean, they're just barely hanging on by a thread. So the genealogy in a sense, you all, serves to remind them, the original audience, let's go down the road, and you and I, that God is able to keep his promises. And when it looks like he's not, nothing could be further from the truth. Because we perceive that God's promise is hanging by a thread. Can I tell you something? That thread is about as thick as the earth and it's steel. It's imp- no, God's promise, is this, God's promise is never threatened. God's promise is sure and certain and we can rest in it. Which leads me to that question. I said, how does one live their life such a way that your name is remembered, appropriately remembered? Simply put, it's to live your life in confidence that God keeps his promises. It's to choose to live. I trust God keeps his promises and therefore I live this way. Let me get a little more granular on that. I couldn't put it better than Rob did last week. Reach back to that message. I hope you will catch up with that. If we're confident in God's promises, then we'll live our life in light of those promises. And and Rob just put it on the lower, cookies on the lower table when he said, it's to live with our words and actions aligned with God's heart. So now we say, how do I live my life in such a way that, that my name is remembered? It's to live my life aligned with God's purposes and his plans and his promises. It's to align ourselves, he said, with God's heart. Let me go another layer of particularity. God's heart is a people for himself. So now we're getting to the point of, okay, so then I'm gonna gonna be living my life for a, so that God has a people for himself. Does this make sense? So now I'm down to, well, it's it's living for people (laughs) that they might know God, his name above all other names a people who so live that actually God's name is remembered, not so much yours. Now, the way we make God's name remembered is to follow the example of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz who live for the good of others. Other people, not things. Now, I'm gonna show you a video because I I just had this picture of this last week. I was sitting at the Franklin campus getting ready to teach and there, like here, if you were here last week, were baby dedications. Those out undid me as much as this undid me this morning. 
when I listen to the parents speak to their kids, this is my prayer for you. Because you know what you think about is when, I'm looking at you guys, you think about when we did, did that, when we did that with our kids. And you watch the parents say that over their kids and it's, it's amazing. But I glanced over and um, there sitting over here is a couple. Most of you in the room do not know this couple, but some of you do. Charlie and Patty Brooks. And Charlie and Patty are there because of the baby dedications. And I want you to see this because I, I think it's a picture of living your life so that your name is remembered. I'll just let it play because you'll hear what I say in light of what I said there. On our message this morning, uh, I'm gonna get to the message in a moment, but something I wanna do first. When you think about these families up here, I want you to put your attention not on the, on the, on the kids. I want you to put your attention not so much on the, child, the, the, the children dedicated, but step back and I want you to look at the parents that were standing here. Because you look at those parents and you go, that's awesome. You know? I mean, what they said is the message, how they're gonna raise their kids. Did you ever think about where did those parents come from? Like, where did the parents come from who are dedicating the kids and why are they standing there? Uh, because, because God, there you go. And because somebody was following God, right, along the way. And I, I want to do this. I, uh, I want Charlie and Patty, I want you to come up here. They don't even know who you are. Come on up here and join me, Patty. I'm not going to have Charlie say anything so you can relax. <laughs> you don't have to say anything. Charlie, get up here. I got you. Can you come up the stairs? You okay? Come here, hold my hand. So there you go, Charlie. You're good. I got you. I got you. So Charlie and Patty Brooks, just stand here for a minute. Um, when I moved here in 1996 to plant this church, um, there was a small group of people that, you know, could we fit around a table? He said, would you want to plant a church like this? And all of us were young and we were like, man, is there any older people around that we could grab or whatever, you know, to help us, lead us? And Charlie and Patty stepped in to be a part of the core group to plant this church. Do you remember... And so we stand today on their shoulders and they sit today and watch their great-grandchildren be dedicated because they've got two grandchildren on the stage who are raising their kids in the wisdom and admonition of the Lord. What a gift. What a gift to walk with those. And I love it that y'all were here today. And that I get to be here, of, you know, of all the days to stand with you. Because, man, they've been through the highs and lows of a church plant and the highs and lows of raising kids and loving grandkids and now watching great-grandkids be dedicated. And so I'm going to pray over you, but I'm actually going to ask John and Jeannie to come join me. And I'm going to ask John to pray because even as we stood here today, 
John and Jeannie were part of that. John and Jeannie are part of that group, having just moved here from Houston. Would you hold that? <laughs> having just moved here from Houston. And so John and Jeannie, we're meeting in a small room over at Franklin, at, at it's Church of the City now, but it was a people's church then. You know, that's how the church began. <laughs> you and your kids. And so John and Jeannie stand here today. And they watch a daughter who I knew when she was a little girl dedicate their daughter, their child. And so what a gift to stand with you guys. And I, I want to remind us of this because I'm going to open this text in a moment. And it's the story of Ruth. It's the story of family and faith and the providence of God and how God accomplishes his purposes and his plans. And I'm going to tell you, he does it through his people who trust him and pass that faith along. So, Jeannie, let's get behind. I want to get behind Charlie and Patty. And John, I'm going to ask you to pray a blessing. Just I'll, your... I'll, stop the, I'll stop it there. John prayed. And those of you who know John, I'm not cutting it off because John prayed a long prayer. And only those of you in, who know John would know that. John did a beautiful prayer. <laughs> Y'all are giggling. Um, I'm telling you, I was just undone standing with Charlie and Patty uh, because they chose 25 years ago, okay, 25 years ago to give their life away, to choose to invest in us and others. Just amazing. And I know you don't know them, but you understand you sit here because of them. Their name will be remembered. John and Jeannie, their name will be remembered. You know, Charlie and Patty are sitting there and up on stage are two grandkids and this is, they were dedicating great-grandchild number six and seven. And when Charlie and Patty were in that core group around that table, uh, you know, Lynn and Luke were, they were little kids. They were, they were their grandchildren. And now their grandchildren are dedicating their kids. And this picture I hope you capture and see in a sense from the story of Ruth. When, when Ruth chooses to make this hesed love commitment to her mother-in-law. And this child is born. The great-grandfather of David. Who, through whom Christ comes. This is how God's hesed moves through people. And when you think about those students that were up here, think not of them as, oh, those kids are graduating from high school, but think of those kids that one day, imagine, it's like this, imagine one of those students sitting there watching their grandchild be dedicated. This is the story of faith. This is the mission of the church that we pass along the good news of the gospel those whom God puts in our path. I want you to take the bread and the cup, if you would. Go ahead and take the bread out, take the cup, and hold them. And once you've got it out, I want you to go ahead and stand. When we come to the table, it is a remembrance. It's a remembrance of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we come to the table with this bread in hand, remembering that your body was broken for us. And we're grateful. 
receive the bread. And we hold this cup mindful that your life was poured out and you were separated from the Father, death, so that we would never have to be. We remember this. We're grateful. And in receiving it, we're proclaiming as well, you're coming again one day. Receive the cup. I want you to think about something just for a moment. I'll put it up on the screen. It's our invitation to life. What might God be calling you to do this week that would make his name remembered more than your own? Just let the spirit speak to you that you may not get it right now. I get that. It may be Tuesday. I don't know, but there'll be a moment this week when it's, I've got the opportunity to make God's name great. By the power of the Spirit, let's walk in that. Oftentimes, when God would call the nation of Israel back to himself, the prophet would utter these words to the, to the nation. Thus says the Lord, the God of David. Thus says the Lord, the God of Moses. It's, it's like they tied David's name to God so closely that it's, that God's not just something out there. No, you know David? You remember how David lived? His God, that's who I'm calling you to. And so y'all, even when I say to live your life in such a way that your name is remembered, it's truly at its fundamental essence. It's to live our lives in such a way that our name is so connected to God that some might use our name as they're thinking of God the God of Lamb. <laughs> how, about, how, how about that? The God of David. The God of Lucy. The God of Susan. That, that's what it would be. Oh, your name's there, but let me tell you something. It's God's name that we're calling upon. Let us, let us be reminded of that. 